I'm Andrew Blumenfeld, and this is Money in Politics. Issue One is a D.C. organization that calls itself cross-partisan, bringing together Democrats, Republicans, and independents with the goal of fixing our broken political system. They work to, quote, galvanize the public and elected leaders around a host of important and achievable solutions like securing our elections, ending gerrymandering, and reforming campaign finance laws. They recently released a report entitled Mystery Money, which explains how loopholes in federal campaign finance laws permit anonymous money to enter into our political system, sometimes at staggering levels. The consequences of this are and could be quite significant, of course. And to talk about all of that and more, I'm speaking today with Michael Beckel, the research director at Issue 1 and the author of the Mystery Money Report. But first, a quick word from Call Time AI. You're listening to Money in Politics, brought to you by Call Time AI. Campaigning is hard. Why not make fundraising easy? Using automation and artificial intelligence, Call Time AI lets you fundraise five times faster with easy-to-use tools like instant donor research, automated voicemail drop, and donor scoring, so that you are always calling the right person at the right time with the right ask. Go online to calltime.ai to schedule a demo and start your free trial today. So I'm joined now by Michael Beckel. Michael, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Why don't we start with an introduction to share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and how you came to be the research director at Issue One. Yeah, my name is Michael Beckel, and I'm the research director at Issue One, bipartisan political reform organization based in Washington, D.C., I worked as a money and politics reporter for about a decade prior to joining Issue One in 2017. I spent three years in the trenches learning everything about campaign contributions and lobbying and money and politics, working at the Center for Responsive Politics, which runs the website opensecrets.org. And I spent five years after that working as a reporter at the Center for Public Integrity, which has long been one of the premier places covering money and politics. And I really focused on super PACs, dark money, some of the big money flowing into the election. And one of the things that I really love about my job at issue one is that we're still highlighting a lot of those same trends about the big money coming into politics, the lack of transparency in our elections. And we're also highlighting the common sense solutions about what can be done and showing that in many cases, there is bipartisan support to move forward on some of these big issues. And actually, along those same lines, can you just share a little bit of an overview of issue one? What kind of organization is it? How did it get started and and sort of what its priorities are? Absolutely. Absolutely. Issue one is a relatively new animal in Washington, D.C. We're only about six years old. Our genesis is that for years and years and years, there has been a lack of bipartisan organizing around the issues of democracy reform, about money and politics, about lobbying, around government ethics. And our founders tried to seize that moment to try to say we need a renewed focus on bringing Democrats, Republicans, and independents together to work on meaningful political reforms. And so we are just a few years old. Our executive director, Meredith McGee, joined about three and a half, four years ago. And we've started building up a small lobbying team, a small research team, a small communication shop, really trying to bring 
Democrats, Republicans, and independents together to work on this important issue. And one of our highest profile activities to date has been creating a coalition of former members of Congress, former governors, former cabinet officials who are all dedicated to five broad brush principles about bringing more transparency to our elections, getting more citizen engagement in the political process, trying to make sure that the government is working for the people and not the special interests. And so we've got more than 200 former Democrats and Republicans, almost a 50-50 split between Democrats and Republicans in this group that we call the Reformers Caucus, because they're all former members of Congress and former governors who are dedicated to political reform. I love that. That's a very clever name. What <laughs> I'm really interested in your expertise on this, because as you've just mentioned, you have quite a background on the topic of money and politics. But in particular, I'm excited to be talking to you today because of a recent report that Issue One produced and that you authored, the Mystery Money Report. So can you start maybe by sharing with people what was the motivation for this report? What led you to decide that this was the, an area of priority for you all to be digging into and releasing this report about? Yeah, absolutely. The topic of dark money in politics is one that comes up year after year, election after election, and it's very worrisome that there is so much secret spending in our elections. When we've got money from secret sources coming in, we don't know the genesis of that money, and we're seeing new frontiers in dark money spending each election cycle. And so the Mystery Money Report that we published at issue1.org earlier this summer, we, we published a report that focused specifically on one of the newest frontiers of dark money in our elections, which are shell companies. Often in states like Delaware or Wyoming, when you form a limited liability company, or other business group, there's very little disclosure about the actual people behind that entity. So you can form a shell company very easily in some states, and those shell companies end up either sponsoring political ads on their own or giving to groups like super PACs, which are major players in politics, spending hundreds of millions of dollars on ads. And by law, super PACs are required to disclose their donors. But when they only disclose a shell company as the source of the money they're getting, the public is still really left in the dark about the true source of that fund. And one of the reasons we published the Mystery Money Report was to draw attention that this money could be coming from anywhere, including from foreigners who want to illegally interfere in our elections. And this is actually something that the Justice Department says has happened at least twice in recent years with foreigners using shell companies to give money to super PACs, trying to gain access and influence in U.S. politics. And this is just such a glaring loophole in our campaign finance system. We wanted to draw attention to it, draw attention to the fact that there are some easy fixes for Congress and the Federal Election Commission to take action to bring more transparency and to assure Americans that the law is being followed. But in the meantime, this remains a glaring loophole. And foreign nationals, foreign governments, foreign adversaries could be taking advantage of this loophole in our campaign finance system. And all the public knows right now are often the names of very obscure companies. And it can be very, very difficult to follow the money from a shell company into a super PAC, which is why we tried to publish this report here 
as the final weeks of the 2020 election come to a hold, we're going to be seeing more and more money in the election. And we really want to draw attention to the fact that this is a glaring loophole in the system that could be abused. It's beyond hypothetical, right? You referenced that the Department of Justice has recently indicated that there have been a few instances of foreign money that taking advantage of this loophole. And the report, I think, does a really nice job of describing the problem in very concrete, practical terms by highlighting one case study after the next. So I'd love for you to share one or two that you think best illustrates the problem, because I think it's important that people know this isn't just an academic concern. This is something that is real. It has real implications for how our elections run. These are loopholes that are being taken advantage of, not just that they could be taken advantage of. Exactly. And obviously, without subpoena power, it's very difficult to follow the money trail or money flowing through anonymous shell companies. Secret shell companies don't have to disclose very much to the public. And as we outline with about a dozen case studies in this mystery money report on issue1.org, in many, many cases, it's very difficult to follow the money based on the public records alone. So the U.S. Justice Department has already said that foreign actors have used shell companies to pump money into U.S. elections at least twice in recent years. In one case, the scandal-plagued Malaysian financier Joe Lowe allegedly provided money to rapper Praz Michel of the Fugees through shell companies to help bankroll a pro-Barack Obama super PAC in 2012. And in another case, an unidentified Russian businessman allegedly was the true source of money donated to a pro-Donald Trump super PAC in 2018 by a shell company that was associated with the Soviet-born businessmen Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, who became household names for their involvement in the Ukraine scandal. And what we see from public filings are really just the tip of the iceberg. So with the case studies that we highlighted in our report, One that was particularly concerning to us is money that came from an LLC that was called Tomfoolery LLC. You almost couldn't make up a more (laughs) suspicious sounding name. And this was a group that donated to a liberal super PAC in Texas, a super PAC that supported Democratic Senate candidate Christina Ramirez in the Texas primary. And ultimately, it reported giving $75,000 to this liberal super PAC called Lone Star Forward. It was one of the top donors to this super PAC. And in the campaign finance filings, it is by law required to list an address. However, the address that it listed was a 60-story skyscraper in New York City. (laughs) No suite number, no floor number, no care of. All it is Mm. is a 60-story building in Manhattan. And from our digging online, this is a skyscraper whose many tenants include multiple firms that specialize in incorporation services, meaning there are countless companies there that do not have a physical office. And Mm -hmm. the SEC (laughs) records simply lead you to a dead end. When we started reviewing business filings, we found one tomfoolery LLC that was formed in New York back in 2004 and another one that was formed in Delaware in 2017. 
And in fact, both of those LLCs had business records connecting them to this 60-story skyscraper in Manhattan. So again, the public records give some clues, but certainly we could not conclusively determine which of these LLCs made the donation or at whose direction this donation came. And this, again, is really just the tip of the iceberg of a group that was active and more LLCs could be taking advantage of this same loophole and pumping even more money into the election before the race is over in November. I'm really interested in your take on sort of how we got here. And I think sort of aligned with that is a question about what are the arguments in favor of this current system? Is it merely that this was just something that was not comprehensively enough conceived when it was first uh, rolled out, meaning the regulations around reporting. It just didn't conceive of the fact that all of these 50 different states have different ways that LLCs have to be public or not about the people who make them up. And so it didn't account for those instances where LLCs are very, very kind of black box like entities. Or was this a purposeful distinction that was made in the law because there are privacy interests here that they were trying to protect or business interests they were trying to protect? I guess what I'm trying to get at here is what's the argument in favor of this or is it merely that this is the status quo and so that has a lot of staying power and until there's a sufficient will to overcome the status quo, we're just sort of stuck with the loophole as it is? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the honest truth is that most of the regulations that we have on the books were written long before corporations, including limited liability companies, were able to play politics in this way. The Citizens United Supreme Court decision back in January 2010 was a game changer and really opened the door for corporate entities, including anonymous shell companies, to play a much greater role And the status quo is what people are up against. And it takes a lot of inertia to change the way that people are thinking about the rules and regulations. And in this case, there's a very clear path forward. Already, certain limited liability companies are allowed to make contributions to political candidates or political party committees like the DNC or the RNC. But when you have an individual using an LLC that they control to make a donation to a candidate or a political party committee, by law, the beneficiary of that money has to say that this money didn't just come from a company, didn't just come from this corporate LLC or whatnot, but it actually came from an individual or group of individuals who control that LLC. So By law, individuals cannot use shell companies to evade campaign contribution limits and pump even more money into the election than they could otherwise. But obviously, some wealthy people have more liquidity in a LLC, or that's where they've got assets that they're able to donate to political parties or political candidates. And so the statute says that if you use an LLC to give money to the DNC or the RNC or any political candidate, that your name is also disclosed as the true source of that fund. So this would be a very easy thing for the Federal Election Commission to say could also apply to LLCs that make super PAC contributions. And every once in a while, you do see a super PAC voluntarily taking that step. So if a large contribution comes in from an LLC, say based in Delaware, 
you as the general public don't know where that money is coming from unless the super PAC takes a step to say, and this actually came from these individuals behind this group. And so this is a very simple thing that the SEC could make apply to super PACs as well as the other entities out there that get money from LLCs from time to time. But really, this is also an area where Congress could step in and bring more transparency. You've got a lot of folks in Congress who are talking about ways to bring more transparency to dark money. And this is certainly part of the conversation on that front. And one of the other areas that we're really heartened by is that I think there is a growing recognition that foreigners could be abusing this loophole. There's actually a bipartisan proposal that has been proposed that is called the Shell Company Abuse Act, which would make it a crime for an American to create an anonymous shell company specifically for the purpose of helping a foreigner evade the prohibition on their involvement in our elections. So the Shell Company Abuse Act would help stop foreigners from using these loopholes to engage in illegal political activity. And this is a bill that has been sponsored by folks ranging from Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican of Iowa, Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina, and Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, a Democrat from Rhode Island. So there has been uh, at least some recognition that we need stronger rules and regulations when it comes to ensuring that foreigners aren't abusing these loopholes in our campaign finance system. It's so interesting because you hear a lot, obviously, especially in the realm of money and politics about the impact of the Citizens United decision. And often I think the the shorthand for it is more money in politics, that it opened the door to more money in politics. I'm not sure it's always well understood or at least well articulated that it did actually something a little more complicated than that by opening the door to the more kinds of entities that can put their money into politics. It also created all these sort of unintended other effects where they now have entities that are able to give that weren't. And when the regulations about how entities give were written, they weren't thinking of these other kinds of entities because to your point, they weren't allowed to give at that point. And so it just sounds like there's a lot of catching up to do on the part of regulation and statute to to conform to the reality that that we all have living in a post-Citizens United world. You've mentioned a few examples of things that can be done, FEC requiring additional reporting that just looks more like the kind of reporting that is already required of individuals who are giving through LLCs directly to campaigns or directly to parties. And you just mentioned a bill on Capitol Hill. Anything else that we should be thinking about as potential avenues for addressing this particular kind of problem? Are there things that particular campaigns should be uh, thinking about doing in terms of how they self-report information? Is there Are there steps the Department of Justice should be taking to more aggressively you know, reveal or get to the bottom of when this might be happening? Just other paths to addressing the issue that you've described here. Certainly, certainly. And again, I think this can't be repeated enough. You know, it is already illegal for foreigners to pump money into our elections in this fashion. If, Mm -hmm. If you are a foreign national, if you are a foreign government, if you are a foreign adversary, you should not be donating to candidates, donating to 
political action committees donating to super PACs or donating to dark money groups that plan on spending money on election-related activities. And so what the Citizens United ruling really opened the door for was more opacity and more secret ways that shell companies or dark money groups could become politically active, making it much harder for the general public and much harder for the press to try to follow that money. And so we've seen hundreds of millions of dollars being spent in secret money since Citizens United. In fact, next month, we expect that the billion dollar mark will be spent in dark money spending since Citizens United. And at the end of the day, we don't know where that money is coming from. So certainly the rules need to be updated. The modern realities of what campaigning looks like is very different than when most of these rules were written in the 1970s or 80s or 90s. The fact that you now have these types of shell companies enabled to play such a powerful role really needs to be looked at. And if you are a candidate who is running for office, you have some onus to make sure that the money that you're receiving is coming from U.S. citizens or green card holders. In most cases, you're not going to need to worry about receiving a million dollar contribution from a shell company because as a candidate, you can't accept a million dollar donation. And so you certainly hopefully have a good compliance firm who is helping you to keep track of all the money coming into your campaign coffer. But at the end of the day, you know, the Justice Department has looked at cases where there have been straw donors used, where foreign nationals or other folks who are trying to evade the campaign contribution limits are using a series of cutouts to try to pump more money into the election. That's a thing that is very difficult to detect, but certainly if it is detected, it's something that the Justice Department takes very seriously. And at the end of the day, these cases that the Justice Department has brought against the shell companies in the super PACs, against the pro-Trump super PAC and the pro-Obama super PAC that were mentioned as groups where foreign money was shuffled into the election. In some cases, that is very much a straw donor situation where you have these sort of pass-through entities being used to try to mask the ultimate source of the money. So I think if you are a candidate, you are presumably working with somebody to help make sure your campaign is compliant with campaign finance regulations. But I think it's also very prudent for you to be thinking about how to be a champion on these types of issues and making sure that we're bringing more transparency to the political process and certainly pushing for these ideas through Congress is a big way for how we're going to fix the system. I want to sort of conclude by zooming out and taking advantage of your longevity on this issue. We've been talking a lot today about specifically this loophole. But as we started the conversation, you've been involved in covering as a reporter and as a researcher the issue of money and politics for a long time. And so I'm just curious, I like asking people who have been involved in this for a while, you may just you just mentioned how much campaigning has changed, you know, even since as recently as the 90s, certainly let alone as far back as the 70s, when a lot of these or some of these rules were written. Just curious about what your take is as you've been covering it. Any changes or trends? Is it are we moving in a more troubling direction? You know, generally, are we moving in a more positive direction? I'm I'm assuming it's a mix of both, but I'm just curious. 
any kind of big picture takeaways you have as someone who has such a wide lens on this issue? Well, certainly the nature of the game changes with every passing election. And Hmm. we're certainly well aware of the fact that campaigns are increasingly spending more and more money on digital ads and trying to reach people through, you know, Facebook ads or YouTube ads and the whole host of places that people are now consuming news online, broadcast, television, radio, those types of expenditures are still important. And a lot of groups, including super PACs and dark money groups, are using both of those avenues as well to try to reach and persuade voters. And I think one of the troubling things that we see as more and more dark money flows into digital ads is that those in particular can be very difficult to track. And that's an avenue where, again, our laws have not kept pace with the nature of modern campaigns. And it's another area where we think that there is a bipartisan solution to bring more transparency to online digital ads and make sure that foreign nationals and foreign adversaries are not trying to take advantage of that loophole. There's a bill called the Honest Ads Act, which has bipartisan support in both the House and the Senate, which would help ensure that foreigners aren't abusing the digital space. We know, for instance, ahead of the 2016 election that there were Russian-backed entities that were buying political ads, sometimes in rubles. And right now, we have a patchwork of voluntary measures that each and every social media company is taking to try to address that problem. But we really need uniform standards to make sure that everyone is playing by the same set of rules, to make sure that voters have a level of transparency to really help them know who's trying to influence their vote. And that's something that a bill like the Honest Ads Act could do if it were passed into law. And I think one of the heartening trends of the past 12 years that I've been covering money in politics has been the online space is also helping bring in more people into the political process. There's a very low barrier of entry for folks to make a campaign contribution or support a candidate or a cause. It's very easy to give money online. And both Democrats and Republicans are trying to build platforms that make it very easy for people to give money, to give money over the course of the campaign over and over and over again. And being able to draw more people into the process is a good thing. Having more money for more people who are making small dollar contributions is a way that helps democratize the process, make sure that candidates are listening to more Americans as part of the political process. I think one of the most striking money and politics stats that I've ever heard than the Center for Responsive Politics, which runs opensecrets.org, is the source of this. But about one half of 1% of Americans are responsible for about two-thirds of all the money in politics. And if you have forces at work trying to get more money from more people into the process. That means that ultimately more people are going to be able to have their voices heard in the political process. More people will feel like they have skin in the game. We know that candidates are often trying to convert donors into people who are going to volunteer for their campaign, or they're the people who are most likely to show up and vote for them on election day. And so having people feel invested in the political process is a great thing. And having millions of people giving money online is certainly something that's very different than even 15 
or 20 or 30 years ago when sure. people had to send direct mail out to mailboxes and it was a much more expensive proposition back in the day. Yeah, and, and presumably more donors, you know, something we've talked about on this podcast before, more donors and a kind of broader swath of society becoming and seeing themselves as political philanthropists also has the effect, presumably, of diluting the impact of any of that that tiny little fraction you, you cited, right? That half of 1% being responsible for two thirds. That means that they have quite, you know, an outsized voice and outside outsized influence. And certainly one way to sort of cap that and you definitely see efforts to do so is reform and efforts to limit the capacity of that group to donate or to donate at certain levels. Obviously hard to do given certain realities of our system. But another Another very able way to do that, presumably, is just to get more people and, and to make it so that two-thirds uh, just starts to shrink by virtue of the fact that the sort of denominator grows, <laughs> the number of people who are, who are getting involved grows. Exactly, exactly. And obviously, another point that is always worth repeating is the internet also makes it very easy for scammers to be out there and active. So if you are feeling like you are motivated to donate to a candidate or a political action committee, it's always good to do your due diligence and make sure, you know, the website that you're visiting is what you think it is and is a group that you think it is. And the Federal Election Commission is a group that is trying to crack down more on fraudulent political action committees and scam packs. But we also know right now that the Federal Election Commission, which is designed right now to be a six-member commission in Washington, D.C., only has three commissioners. And so it has lacked a quorum to take any sort of enforcement action for the bulk of the 2020 election cycle. And that's very frustrating in and of itself. But we certainly know that there's a lot of reforms that could happen to help raise up more people's voices in the political process and help ensure that people feel like Washington is working for them. And that's a big part of why reforming the money and politics system is such a big part of what we're trying to do at issue one is that we want people to feel like their voice is being heard. We want them to feel like Washington is responsive to their needs and not just the special interests and PACs that have the ability to buy access and influence in Washington, D.C. and there's a steep uphill challenge to reform the system and bring about sweeping bipartisan reform. But we really feel like there's a lot of momentum right now and a lot of enthusiasm from folks across the political spectrum, knowing that the system is broken and knowing that there are some really common sense ideas to bring more transparency in our elections is a great first step to take. Well, I'm so grateful that you're doing it. And before I let you go, then maybe just remind people one more time, where can they go to read this report, Mystery Money, but also to just keep in touch with the work of Issue One, if this is something they're passionate about. And frankly, if they're listening to this podcast, the odds of that are high. So where, where can they go to learn more and stay involved? The best place to learn more and stay involved is on our website at issue1.org. We're also very active on social media. We've got a Facebook page and Twitter account. You can follow us on Twitter at issue1reform, or my Twitter handle is at mjbeckel. I'm the research director at Issue One, and it's been a pleasure being on your program this morning. Thank you so much. Thanks again for what you do, and thanks for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me today, Andrew. 
Stay up to date with the latest fundraising trends, forecasts, and advice by going to the CallTime AI blog at www.calltime.ai. And follow us on Twitter at CallTime AI.